0: Okay, say, so give me the meat. Give me the meat. Give me the steak. Give me the steak. Give me the burgers. Give me the burgers. Give me all of the meat. Give me all of the meat. <laughs> now say, welcome to the Low Carb Runner podcast, everyone. Welcome to the, podcast, <laughs> welcome to the Low Carb Runner podcast, everybody. everybody, welcome to the Low Carb Runner podcast. Uh, This is our second episode since we've rebranded to the Low Carb Runner podcast and I figured this episode would be the best for my guest today because I look up to him a lot. Um, I learned about him just over a year and a half or so ago and um, I I learned about a a cool experience that he went through uh, a few years ago about how he gained weight on purpose to try to understand his clientele a little bit better. He's a fitness trainer and then he used a strategic keto diet to lose that weight and he's done that twice now um, and it's really really cool to see what he's done and to see how open he is about how he felt um, and I want to bring him on here just to talk a little bit about all of that. So please join me in welcoming Drew Manning to the show.
1: What's up Mike? <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, buddy. Thanks for joining me. Um we'll jump right in because there's a lot I want to talk about with you. You're you're sure. such an inspiration, dude. I when I started my low carb journey a few years ago, my buddy told me about you and I looked you up and like I just spent hours going through all those like before and after pictures of your first uh fit to fat to fit journey. Uh, I was just blown away that you did all that on purpose. <laughs> and so I yeah. definitely want to talk about that a little bit. Um but yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself really quick, like specifically um, what led you to a keto diet and why um, that's so important with who you are and, and what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so I'll start out with uh, you know how I got into the fitness industry, which ties into this. But I, I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters, and I grew up playing sports. So football and wrestling were the sports that I played since I was a young age. And did that in you know middle school, high school, and college. So I've always I was always fit, I was always active, I was always in shape. And so um, you know that that was just kind of part of my lifestyle. Um, and then in two thousand nine, I think I became certified as a personal trainer because I was like, oh, maybe this is something I'm passionate about, you know? Because I've always been into working out and stuff. And so I decided to get certified as a trainer, started training clients. But then here I was, <laughs> someone who had never been overweight a day in my life trying to help people who had been overweight pretty much every day of their life, you know? And so there was an obvious disconnect between them and me. And I couldn't understand why they couldn't just do what I did. Like for me, it was like, it's so easy. You just put down the junk food, you go to the gym, right? Here's your calories. Here's your macros. You just do it. Why are my clients struggling right? To stay consistent. (laughs) And um, you know, before this time I didn't know anything about emotional eating or the mental emotional side of transformation. Until in 2011, that's when I first did my first Fit to Fat to Fit experiment, which went viral, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But um, fast forward to about 2015, I stumbled upon keto listening to Dr. Dominic DiAgostino, who I'm sure you've talked about on this podcast. Uh, he was on the Tim Ferriss show, and uh, listening to him talk about all the science behind the ketogenic diet that had been done for things outside of weight loss and, and fitness – and I was just blown away at all the scientific research that had been done on a diet. And so I was intrigued to do an experiment because here I am, a self-experimentation guy, kind of like you are, Mike. You've done a lot of crazy self-experiments as well. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to try this keto thing and see what happens. And dude, I felt like the way my brain felt when I first went keto was like uh, that uh, Bradley Cooper in that movie Limitless, you know, those little pills that he takes and he's like, you know, super smart and he's saying, he, yeah, that's how I felt. Oh, shoot. My, Hold on a second.
0: You're good. I can still hear you.
1: Okay. Uh, my camera just died, so we're going to use this the camera. So I just went from high quality, low quality. I'm so sorry about that. Is that. It's okay. Is that no, this huge... is just an audio
0: okay. podcast, so we're good.
1: Okay. Okay, cool. So <laughs> that doesn't matter then. Um, so, so the, yeah, I loved the way my brain felt. I, I just had this huge increase in mental clarity. And then I wasn't eating six or seven meals a day anymore like I used to, because that's kind of what I was doing my whole life. And that's what I've been taught being in the fitness industry for so long and then eating once or twice a day, but still maintaining my physique and my muscle mass, I was blown away. And so that's what I fell in love with the ketogenic diet first and foremost when that was around 2015 or so.
0: And you did your first fit to fat to fit in 2011. Is that what you said? Yeah.
1: Yep, before keto was mainstream, or you know, I didn't, I didn't really do keto back then. I didn't know what it was until you know, like I said, twenty fifteen.
0: Okay, so that that changes my perspective a little bit because I sure. assumed that you did it when you lost weight that first time around when you did fit to fat to fit. Um, yeah,
1: no, I, I didn't, but I did it the second time. I used keto on the second journey.
0: Okay, well, so yeah, when we're talking about this, let's just talk about <laughs> what what's this crazy experiment that you did in twenty eleven.
1: Yeah, so I just to gain a better understanding of to relate to my clients uh, and to better understand what it's like to be overweight, I decided to for six months stop exercising and eat a unrestricted, you know, standard American diet. And I put on 75 pounds of fat in six months, right? And and, and like I said, there's no exercise. So it wasn't, this wasn't like a bodybuilder bulking phase where I just ate a ton of food and just lifted heavy. It was zero exercise, and so I went from about eight and a half percent body fat to about thirty-two percent body fat in six months' time, and it was crazy. and And then this whole story went viral. Like I didn't know it was going to go viral, but a bunch of TV shows picked it up. I went on Dr. Oz and Jay Leno and Good Morning America. Wrote a book, um, you know, created a TV show of my own where we put other trainers through this process. Because, to be honest with you, Mike, it was one of the hardest, most humbling things I've ever done. Because I didn't realize how hard this journey was going to be, especially on, especially on the mental and emotional side. You know, I think me and you were, were, were big into the science. And so we dive into the the physical aspect of, okay, how many calories do I need to eat? What are my macros? What are my, you know, electrolyte levels and how do I, you know, science this out so that I can accomplish something. But the biggest thing that I was missing was the the emotional component of this whole journey. And that's where my eyes were opened, And I realized just how wrong I was. And so it truly humbled me. And I think that's what, made it relatable to people as people saw how humble I was, and it developed some empathy for those that struggle. And so it, it made me more of an empathetic trainer, because I finally could say, yeah, I get it now. Like, I understand why people emotionally eat. And I understand how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. And that's what that's where I feel like, um, you know, I was able to tap into that part of transformation that i couldn't really understand because like I said before I was like why can't people just do it (laughs) you know Um, until I I did it myself and um, you know learned a lot from that first experience
0: so the thing that I think is super incredible about that (laughs) coming from my perspective is like a running coach like I feel like that's almost as equivalent to me trying to understand the people I coach and like me going out and purposefully injuring myself to understand what it's like to come back from injury and that seems like like a crazy concept so like it's super amazing that you chose to do this to better understand the people that you're helping like it really shows who you are as a person um which is super incredible buddy
1: um
0: and the thing I was worried about with this podcast is that I I felt that I was going to have a lot of questions for you and I would just like have no idea which ones I want to ask first um (laughs) so I apologize apologize if I skip over something important but it's okay um, so going back to that journey, um, you said that you started eating a standard American diet and gained weight. So yeah. if you weren't keto before this, what, what was your diet like before you started this journey?
1: Yeah, I would say it was more paleo-ish. Uh, it wasn't strict paleo, but it was more of a high protein, moderate carb, lower fat type of diet, you know, more of like a bodybuilder style where it's like six small meals a day every two or three hours, eating X amount of protein and, you know, veggies and, you know, some carbs in there, but, but not a ton. Uh, so it, it definitely was not keto necessarily, but I would throw it into the category of like paleo-ish.
0: Gotcha. And when you mm-hmm. went to a standard American diet, give us an idea on what like a day of eating looked like for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, this is where it gets fun. Um, and I freaking, I freaking love the food, by the way, just so you know, like it, it was the food for me was like, it tasted so good. And so I get why people Get stuck eating this food. So, uh, for breakfast, usually some type of like sugary cereal because that's what most Americans eat. Um, so, like a huge bowl of like cinnamon toast crunch and uh, maybe a bagel with cream cheese. And then for a snack in between breakfast and lunch, I would have maybe you know um, you know a, a couple granola bars, uh, a bag of chips, and like a Mountain Dew. Uh, for lunch would be like a few peanut butter sandwiches, uh, maybe another side of chips or like. Um, you know those bagel or those those pizza those frozen pizza bites you know or pizza rolls <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and um and then between lunch and dinner another snack and that would be you know maybe you know uh, like a, a a thing of pringles and another mountain dew and then for dinner was usually like white pasta marinara sauce meatballs side of garlic bread and then before you go to bed like you know when you're like watching tv or something maybe some cookies or ice cream or if I was really lazy, I would have another bowl, huge bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Because if you look at the serving size, Mike, of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, it's three-fourths of a cup. And I'll, I'll bet that no one eats only three-fourths of a cup of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Like, I had to have probably like a man-sized bowl. And here's the thing, is like, I would eat that food, and it sounds like a lot of food to so many people. They're like, oh my gosh. But After two or three hours, dude, I'm starving—like starved—to the point where I get hangry, and I'm like, I gotta have something else. And this is what this highly processed food, these refined sugars and carbohydrates do to you: is they stimulate hunger, so you feel hungry again, even after you ate just a huge amount. And so people are amazed that I was able to eat like five thousand calories a day or more. But I'm like, to be honest with you, I wasn't stuffing my face every single meal. I would eat till I was full. And then just naturally, my hunger would kick in a couple hours later and be like, OK, now it's time to eat again. And these highly processed foods, you know, they taste delicious. Like, you know, like I said, don't get me wrong. They, I could eat them all day. But I think that's the problem with our society is these foods are we're, we're overfed and undernourished. Like it's, it's like a bunch of empty calories for the most part, uh, eating these types of foods. And, and man, yeah, it's, it's, it's a this vicious cycle where you get this huge spike in blood sugar levels. And after that spike comes the crash and when you crash, you feel awful. You feel horrible and your body's like, Hey, you've got to get blood sugar back up. So that's why people feel gravitate towards these processed foods that give you a quick, you know, energy spike.
0: Yeah. And the food industry has done really well at like deceiving us into like making us think these cereals and stuff are like somewhat healthy for us. Like <laughs> yeah. they have those things on the labels that say, may contribute to a healthy heart, but it says like may contribute so they're not claiming it will kind of a thing.
1: (laughs) Oh, marketing plays a big role in that. Like, you know, fortified with vitamin A and vitamin D and it's whole grains, like 13 grams of whole grains per serving. And, you know, they market it to us as quote unquote healthy food. And I think that's the, that's the, the, the problem with our society is people get sucked into that. People are like, oh yeah, I'm eating Cheerios, which is heart healthy, right? And American Heart Association puts their stamp of approval on it. And, and this is the problem that I have, but the food industry is like, you know, we're just, man, if we just, if we don't wake ourselves up and do our own research and figure out what is, what is healthy for us actually, rather than just, uh, you know, being told what's healthy by these marketing, you know, uh, by these food companies and the marketing efforts that they do. That's why people buy like low fat Triscuits or low fat, like whatever shredded wheat. And they're like, Oh, I'm eating healthy. It's like, and those foods are so easy to overconsume. Like I said, no one eats a three-fourths cup of cinnamon toast crunch, and so you're eating that stuff, and man, it's so easy to just overconsume. And that's what I learned from that first experiment of the, the, how powerful that is from a, a you know psychological perspective, but also you know physiological, like what it does to your body, what it does to your hormones, and the chemicals inside your body that just make you crave more of that food.
0: Yeah. And I just want to point out too, like I grew up overweight and one of the ways I, that I did lose weight, I spent a whole summer eating only the serving size of foods. <laughs> I put it in the family, like three fourths of a cup of cereal. Nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. No. And then also too, like I fell trapped to that uh, marketing scheme growing up. Like I remember as a kid, I would eat a bag of Skittles thinking I was healthy because there was no fat in it. Um, This is like a bag of M and M's, or like, I mean, like they're both not good for you. But like, I, I legit thought I was healthy because I was eating a food that had no fat in it. Okay. Granted, it had tons of sugar, but it was advertised as like no trans fat, no fat. Like they made me fall victim to that prey, or sorry, yeah, yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. I know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true because you know fat's been demonized, salt been demonized, and so we kind of bought into this this myth that low fat food is what's going to keep us from gaining fat. But, you know, obviously, you know, numbers don't lie. And look at what happened when we adopted the food pyramid and, and ate seven to 11 servings of grains per day and limited our fat. Like, man, you see the numbers and they're just, you know, astounding of how high obesity has become. And now here we are in this hard place of like, okay, did we cut out carbs? Did we cut out sugar? Like, what did we cut out to get back to that? And now it's like, we're, we're stuck here because the processed food, is way more cheap, is way cheaper and more affordable than the, the real whole food. Like, you know, the fact that you have to pay more for a salad than you do, you know, a hamburger French fries and, you know, soda is unbelievable. And so you, people that want to lose weight, it's an uphill battle. They have to meal prep and they have to cook and they have to like, you know, uh, you know, make all this healthy food and pay more money versus the processed food that's cheaper. It's more convenient. And let's be honest, it tastes better. And so that's why I think, you know, we get stuck in this, this, you know, cycle of of trying to break free from that. And, you know, you probably, you and I probably have the willpower to like, okay, I'm only going to eat this much, but 90% of people out there, it's hard. It's hard to be like, okay, I'm only going to eat this much, or I'm not going to have any junk food this, this, you know, this summer, this year. That just doesn't happen because once you program your brain and you, you, you know, you, you create those pathways, it's really hard to break free from that.
0: Yeah, but the hopeful thing is, too, is once you reprogram your brain to like fat, like you get to a point yes. where that stuff is just not even appealing to you anymore. So there is a way yep. to get out of it.
1: <laughs> there is.
0: Um, So I'm, I'm personally not used or sorry, I'm not unfamiliar with getting a lot of cris- criticism and hate for what I'm doing. And I yeah. assume you're a very in a very similar boat as, as I am. And so I'm curious to know that when you did this journey, did you get like a lot of criticism and slash feedback on your approach to gaining weight like i'm curious if people approached you and said well yeah it's obvious you're going to gain this kind of weight when you're eating this way but like there's a lot of other standard american approaches that you could take to not um basically be healthy and still like yeah. implement those st- Like, do you get what i'm asking with this question yeah i do and i
1: i know exactly what you're talking about yes people you know, there's always going to be haters, first and foremost, like there's always going to be haters, no matter what you do, right. And so, um, you know, that's, that's just expected to happen, and especially what what I was doing, got so much, you know, um, you know, uh, eyes on it, there's always going to be people that came after me. And yes, specifically to the way that I gained weight, because people are like, overweight, people don't eat this way. You know, I was eating 5000 calories a day of like, you know, all this processed food. And I'm like, okay, here's the thing, I, I hear you, you don't eat this way, but I know people that do eat this way, that eat this much food and even more than this. And yes, it, 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 it does happen. I promise you it does happen. Now, here's the thing. The way I had to do this this experiment was I don't have 10 years like most people take to gain, you know, 50, 60, 100 pounds because people aren't doing what I'm doing, right? And I'm convincing that into like four months or six months, you know, when I did these journeys. Cause I, you know, I can't do this forever. I can't like take 10 years out of my life to gain weight slowly, five, five pounds a year or 10 pounds a year. I had to do it in a short period of time and then lose it in a short period of time as well. And so, yeah, people are like, you know, no one eats that way. And I'm like, I, I get it. But I have people telling me that they do eat this way. People email me all the time. like, when I described like the, the typical day of what I ate, I had hundreds of people email me saying, dude, that's what I eat. That's like the type of food that I eat. And so I think what happens is, you know, 80% of, of Americans out there probably eat these types of processed foods on a daily basis because the convenience, the affordability, and how good it tastes and how good it makes you feel when you eat it. So it's like a drug. And so, yeah, you know, I, I didn't really debate with people about that because I'm like, look, I'm the one doing the experiment. It, I have to structure it that a way that works for me. And so at the end of the day, like that, that wasn't like, huge thing you know it didn't like bring me down or didn't cause me to change what I was doing but um you know I, I get why there are haters about that and um but I had to do it a certain way does that make sense
0: yeah that makes total sense yeah so I'm curious to know too like what was the hardest thing through this whole experience and I'm sure that's a very hard question to answer
1: yeah that is a hard question so there's two things because I did it once in 2011 and I did it again in 2020 so as a 40 year old I just did it Again, um, the first time around, I would say the hardest thing was it created this identity crisis for me because my whole life I was Drew the fit guy in my mind. Like I was the, the, the fit trainer with muscles and abs, and like I've always been that person. And so that my body image became my self image. And when I became overweight for the first time, I freaked out because I didn't know who I was without that body. And so now being 20, 30, 40 pounds heavier, like those first few months, I was so uncomfortable being out in public because I wanted to go up to strangers and explain to them, like, hey, I'm not really overweight. This is just an experiment. Here's my before picture. Go to this website. Like, I wanted to tell people that I'm not really an overweight person because I was so uncomfortable in my own skin because it created this identity crisis. And uh, so that, that, that I think, was the hardest thing for me the first time was, was learning to accept myself in this new body. And um, the second time around, I, that really didn't... Uh, you know, affect me at all. Like I was totally fine taking my shirt off. I didn't care what people thought of me. You know, I was rocking the dad bod. And because I've done a lot of like you know personal inter- internal work on myself to let go of that attachment to my body image as my self image, right? And so that didn't really bother me. The second time around, I, I will say this: I do. I went into a, I- I got into a dark place of of emotional eating where um, I caught myself eating my emotions because I actually, I went through a really, really hard breakup during my second journey, which was unexpected. And that was freaking hard because that's, you know, that's, that's a really hard life situation to go through on top of doing an experiment where like I was already in the public eye. And so what's interesting is when I was sad and lonely and depressed during that time, it was so easy to gravitate towards the food, which Temporarily makes you feel better. And this is the, the, why I'm trying to bring more awareness and empathy to the fitness industry because when we tell people just stop eating so much and, you know, eat less and work out and put the, the food down, it's not as simple as that because even for myself, there's something that happens when you eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream or a donut or cake. It gives you this little, you know, uh, chemical called dopamine that it releases in your brain. It makes you feel good, right? It temporarily takes away the pain of life. So some people gravitate towards food, other people gravitate towards alcohol or drugs or sex or social media or whatever addiction that people have nowadays, it creates this little dopamine hit that makes the pain that you're experiencing, whether it's a breakup or financial troubles or whatever, it makes it temporarily feel better. And so what happens is we, we have the little dopamine hit from the food or whatever we choose to, to partake of. And then, you know, the pain creeps back in and we're like, this is too uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with this pain give me another glass of wine or give me another slice of cake or give me this or that. And we reach for these substances that numb the pain temporarily. And it, it, that's what people get stuck in because your body gets addicted to that dopamine rush that it, it gets from eating those foods. And so this is why breaking the cycle of emotional eating is, I wouldn't say impossible for a lot of people, but you know, we, 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 when people are drug addicts, you know, you're not just going to go up to them and be like, dude, stop doing drugs. What's wrong with you? It's not that hard. You just put down the drugs. Like You want to say that, but we all know that it's a real addiction. Food addiction is the same thing. It's the same kind of mechanism that that happens in our brains when we we, eat this food, especially if we're eating our emotions. And so it really opened up my eyes to the power of emotional eating. The second time around, I would say that was probably the the biggest lesson I learned. The second time around was even more empathy for those that struggle with emotional eating because it's so overlooked in our industry. We just say, hey, here's your macros, here's your calories, follow the keto diet, do this, and do that and then boom you'll magically get this body and then now that you have this body you'll be happier and all your problems go away and it's just not true that's not how it happens in real life and people are chasing after that thinking that's what they're supposed to do and and then they think they're a failure because they can't stay consistent and they can't stop emotional eating and so it's it's a really it's a it's a really hard topic to talk about in the fitness industry but that's why I'm trying to disrupt the industry by you know bringing more empathy and more self-awareness um uh, which is you know hard to do but I'm, I'm on a mission to do that
0: so i mean obviously no one want, wanted you to go through a breakup and <clears throat> that's that's a terrible yeah. thing to deal with um but it, it is very unique that you know have the perspective of what emotional eating does to people um whereas yeah. it didn't happen you might not have had that experience yeah um, i'm curious to know though that since the emotional eating was a factor that didn't happen the first time did you gain more weight the second time around
1: That's a good question. So the experiments were different. The first time around I did it for six months where I gained weight for six months and I gained 75 pounds in six months. The second time around, I condensed it to four months of gaining weight because that's the format for the TV show that we did, which was four months of gaining weight, four months of losing weight. So I was like, I'll follow that. And I gained at 62 pounds in four months. So if you factor that, you know, by month I was actually gaining, I would have gained more weight in the second journey had I kept going for two more months. Um, but yeah, both of those are still a lot of weight to gain. Like seventy-five pounds or sixty-two pounds is a lot of fat to carry.
0: <laughs> man, if if I wasn't following your journey, like I would just <laughs> totally fill your photos or photoshops. Like it's unreal how different you looked through those four months, man. And like looking at you now, like it's yeah. just like it's like wow, this this guy gained sixty-two pounds a few months ago, and like he is a totally different person. So it's just crazy to see that kind of transformation. Um, yeah. So the first time, so going back to the first time around, I take it you just did like a paleo-ish diet to lose the weight?
1: Yeah, it was like five small meals, you know, about 2,000 calories, um, you know, and yeah, spread out. Yeah, I wish I knew, had known about keto or intermittent fasting uh, that that time around, but I didn't know about it. And it still works. That's the thing. It's like, when it comes to pure weight loss, any diet will work, right? If you cut out X amount of calories and you stay at a calorie restriction, for the most part, it's going to work for most people. But you know, I would say the second journey, uh, implementing keto and intermittent fasting, I I would say it worked more effectively and I, you know, lost 60 pounds in four months the second time around. And I felt like I wasn't a slave to food. I had more energy, more mental, uh, clarity as well. And so uh, there was a big difference the the first time versus second time.
0: So when you lost the weight both times, um, how long (laughs) did it take for the, like the sugar cravings to go away?
1: Good question. The first time around, I was, that was one of the like, biggest lessons that I learned because my body went through withdrawal symptoms and the cravings were intense. I would say the first two weeks were miserable. They were hell. It's like getting off of a drug. Like all of a sudden, no more drugs. And you go through these withdrawal symptoms, which suck. And here I am, a proponent of health, like trying to tell people, hey, eating healthy is good for you. It makes you feel good. But I felt like crap those first two weeks. And I did not. And here I was eating that healthy food it didn't taste nearly as good. I wasn't, you know, full. I wasn't like, um, you know, I was still hungry a lot. I, uh, and uh, I just, I had headaches. I was grumpy. I was moody. And I was like, man, this, this is awful. But it helped me empathize with my clients. I'm like, oh, this is what happens when I give them a meal plan. This is why they struggle to stay consistent. So it helped me uh, better understand my clients. Uh, the second time around, I would say I did much better as far as like the cravings weren't as intense. And there is something to say, which we can talk about, you know, the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, there was a transitionary period, but I don't feel like it was as intense as it was when I did it back in 2011.
0: Well, let's talk about that.
1: Sure. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What did you learn with that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things, you know, this is why I'm a big fan of the ketogenic diet, even though when it comes to weight loss, like I said, you can lose weight on any diet, but I think the thing with keto that has an advantage is you know, when you eat a high-fat, you know, higher-protein type of ketogenic diet, you feel satiated, you know, longer than you would eating, you know, carbohydrates. And so, for me, I could go longer periods in between my meals without feeling hangry or starving. Um, and so, and plus the mental clarity and the appetite suppression, and that's why I feel like the cravings weren't as intense. And that's why I I love the ketogenic diet as far as a weight loss strategy because of those two advantages right there the increase in mental clarity the appetite suppression that you feel so you're not a slave to food as much and you feel satiated when you feel satiated you're like oh i don't have these ups and downs of like energy rushes and then crashes it's like your energy's you know pretty even keeled all throughout the day and that's what i love or that's what i love about the ketogenic diets because i think that's one advantage that it has over other diets
0: and so did you mix that with fasting too then every day or every other yeah. day? Yeah.
1: Well, so not, I wouldn't do it. I didn't do extended fasting anything longer than 24 hours um, except for after the first month I did one day of a 24 hour fast after the first month, but I did intermittent fasting. So it was more of like a 16, eight protocol. And that seems to work really well for, for me, for a lot of people out there just because it, it it's, you know, just, you know, have your, your, your fat coffee in the morning and then lunch and dinner. Uh, and that seems to work pretty well for most people, at least, you know, all the thousands of people that have been through my program that that seems to work really well.
0: Yeah. It's a pretty maintainable schedule. It's not that bad. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, I'm curious to know too, and if you've put this out on Instagram or your website, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry that I haven't seen it, but both times that you've done this, have you done like, um, like any kind of testing inside your body, like blood work, cortisol, cortisone, stress hormones, all that. Have you, have you tracked what happened to you before, during, and after?
1: Yes, I did on both journeys. Um, I don't have those numbers in front of me because I didn't know we we're going to talk about that, but I could maybe, you know, I could maybe, um, you know, talk to some of them, but yes, I did do blood work extensively, you know, as I was gaining weight and I was, as I was losing weight.
0: Okay. Do you have like a general idea on what the trend was? Like, if you were normal before super high during on certain things, or is that just kind of, scary? yeah,
1: now I'll try and summarize it. So obviously, you know, my baseline was very healthy, you know, both times when I, when I first started, cause you know, I was living a healthy lifestyle and then things got really, really scary really quickly. I remember my triglycerides got up to 500 plus. Wow. And that was uh, when I was doing my dirty vegan experiment, I think, or dirty vegan and vegetarian experiment. Cause I was eating, you know, unhealthy vegan foods and unhealthy vegetarian foods to show people that, Hey, just cause you're a vegan or vegetarian doesn't mean that it's a healthy diet. I did the same thing with keto too, by the way, I did an unhealthy keto week where I just ate all the, you know, all the, the, the keto junk foods that are out there. And, Ranch and- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ranch and cheese and tons of butter and bacon and tons of, uh, you know, keto cookies and keto ice creams. And,
0: um, so you, you yeah. were doing this while you were gaining weight?
1: Yeah, yeah, to show people you can still gain weight on keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, okay. but all with the unhealthy, the junk food. Um, but then I, you know, because that's the thing is you, you. well, the interesting thing, Mike, is I actually lost weight on dirty keto. I lost two pounds, but my body fat percentage went up. Okay. So I thought that was really interesting. I was like, my weight went down, but my body fat went up that week. Um, so there's something to say about that because it was hard to get in 5,000 calories on keto versus 5,000 calories on vegan vegetarian was a lot easier because of the carbohydrates, right? So like, and I felt so stuffed trying to get in, you know, 4,000 or 5,000 calories of like high fat foods, just because you know how it is. Like it, it, you feel really, really satiated. You feel almost too full, almost not, a little bit nauseous if you eat too much fat. So that's one thing I experienced when I was doing the dirty keto experiment uh, as I was gaining weight.
0: I think that's cool that you did that. And I, now that you say that, I remember you did that. Yeah. Um, But like, yeah, because (laughs) as a a coach, like who's gotten a lot of people on the low carb diet, like um, I've made it a point for people like their first three weeks to send me their macros, like download my fitness pal or carb manager, like show me what you're eating because there's like so many misconceptions, like bacon every day, drizzle ranch all over your salad. (laughs) Like, There's yeah. just so many ways to mess it up if you're not like really working with somebody on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, so true.
0: Um, well, cool, man. That's that's awesome. And where if if they go if people who are listening to this podcast goes to your website, um, like you 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 have documentation of all of this, right? Where they can like see yeah. like blogs and videos of everything. Yeah. This.
1: Yeah. It's- it's at my website, fit 2 2 fitcom but also my YouTube channel, Fit2Fat2Fit. To to fit. It's probably an easier way to, to find it. Instagram and Facebook, you know, you got to scroll down a couple years or a year or so now uh, to where it was, but my, my website or YouTube probably has it easier to find all of these, like the blood work and stuff like that, um, you know, if people want to dive into it. Okay.
0: Yeah, for those who are listening that did not follow Drew when he did this, like, you know, in real time, I highly encourage you to go check that out because it's, it's really crazy cool, all of it, to see, like, the transformation changes and then see the data. Um, yeah. One question that I did have, Drew, that I just thought of that I forgot from earlier. When you, sure. when you did this, why did you choose to um, not work out while you're doing it? Like, did, did That's a good question. About, did you ever think because... about doing it to see if you would gain weight? while you were working out
1: yeah that's that's a good question i think for me it was really adopting the whole lifestyle 100 all the way like like there are people out there that don't work out because maybe they have kids or they have a busy job or they just have fallen out of that routine for a long period of time and there's tons of people that just don't work out because that's the thing is if i did it with exercise i probably wouldn't have been able to gain as much weight right just because you know I'm, i'm burning a lot more calories through exercise But like, once again, to my point in the beginning like, I don't have a whole lot of time. Like if I only gained 25 pounds over the course of four months, like that's not noticeable to your average person. Like people need to see a significant difference to be interested in a transformation. But, uh, you know, let's say instead of 60 pounds, I gained 35 pounds or, or even 40 pounds. That's a lot of weight, but it wouldn't be as noticeable. Like even the 60 pounds that I gained, some people are like, yeah, you look normal. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like you look like a normal guy. So there's all kinds of, you know, different factors and different, you know, uh, ideas of how I could switch this up. Um, but yeah, ultimately it just followed the same format as like, Hey, no exercise, um, you know, for, for the entire four months. So,
0: I think we just need you to commit your body to science and try all the different angles and see what makes you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll. I. I don't know. I don't foresee me doing another fit to fat to fit experiment because it is so hard on your body and your mind. And you know, like I said, I just I went through a really hard time during that. I just I just did it in 2020, so. Uh, but we'll see, you know, me and you, we were always open to like experimentations and like figuring things out. And I, I don't know what my next experiment's going to be. But I don't know if I'll do anything as extreme as, as that, I, you know, I did do 100 miles in 24 hours right before Fit to Fit to Fit. Um, and that was another crazy experiment. So 2020 was full of lots of experiments, crazy experiments that year. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, if there's a good thing that came from COVID, I definitely feel like it encouraged people to try new and crazy things in the athletic world.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, like running 100 miles with no food, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Like> you.
0: <laughs> so bringing that up, like, I mean, I get it because I've I've done my 100 or my zero calorie while running. I've done that twice. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, my my motivation for doing it a second time was to collect blood work. I didn't do that the mm. first time. Okay. Um, so what, what was your motivation to do this again, where you already did it in 2011?
1: I did it a second time because in 2011, the social media was a totally different ball game than it is in right now, right? It's, it's totally different. And so not everyone saw it as it happened. Most people found out about it after the fact, or there wasn't a way to live stream any of it. It was posted on Facebook, and then, you know, a little bit on YouTube. But It wasn't social media back then just wasn't what it is today. So I want to revisit it to really show people like, hey, this is what I'm experiencing every single day, you know, more extensive, you know, uh, blood work and um, tests to show people what's actually happening and a lot more live streaming and people got to see it as it happened this time around. Plus, I feel like my message of bringing more empathy to the fitness industry, this type of experiment gets that type of attention where people are like, Oh, what's this guy doing? Like, Oh, i got to follow this. And then hopefully people will consume my message of, Hey, we need to have more empathy, not just in the fitness industry, but in this world in general. And we all saw what happened in 2020 with how divided we became as a, as a nation. And uh, I was, I felt like the word the, the message of empathy was the right timing for that. And plus doing it as a 40 year old, I mean, you know, I don't know how you are, but uh, you know as you get older, it gets harder to lose weight. it gets harder, your metabolism changes, your hormones are changing, and so doing it as a forty year old I wanted to show people in that age demographic that hey, it might be harder, yes, but it's still possible
0: yeah, that makes sense that makes sense yeah um, well, cool, man, so we're getting close to the time that I told you this yeah. I want to be respectful of your time, but I do have two more questions I want to ask you, sure be, and then we'll wrap up, <clears throat> but Earlier, you mentioned how like a lot of people can um, utilize self-control and like they might be able to get, eat a handful of Skittles and they're good and don't yeah. go crazy. I, for one, I'm not, actually not one of those people. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> okay. um, gotcha. I have
0: to be pretty strict because if I like let off the reins a little bit, then I just lose all control. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I have a history of binge eating disorder. Um, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest, so doing a keto diet helps me keep that in check. Uh, for you, though, I'm curious to know, like, especially since you've done this crazy experiment twice now, and you've like been able to enjoy the foods that a lot of people who do a keto diet might miss. Like, yeah. do you, like, how how strict are you in your day to day? Do you allow room for a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch every now and then, still, or are you pretty strict uh, for the most part?
1: That's a good question. It's all relative because, like, you know, my version of strict is going to look different than your average person's straight. Like people look at me, your average person looks at me like, oh, dude, you're so strict. And, but I know what strict is. I know how to be really strict if I have to be. But since doing these two experiments, I've kind of found my way in the middle where, you know, I don't allow cement toes crunch my house first and foremost, because that right there is one of my trigger foods. Because if I eat one bowl, I'm going to eat the whole box. So I, uh, same thing with Girl Scout cookies. I can't have those in the house. I can't have soda in the house because those are the things that I'm like, okay, I know it's just right there. And anytime I feel any kind of stressful moment, if it's just as convenient as being right there, I'm going to probably eat the whole thing. And so there are certain foods that I can't have in the house, but you know, for, for me right now with where I'm at in my life, I don't feel the need to be super strict all the time because I feel like if I do, that adds more stress to my life. But this is why it's important for people to know themselves and figure out, okay, where's your happy balance? Because maybe some people, you know, yes, they'll get better results if they are more strict, and they, you know, don't touch, you know, uh, you know junk food, or, you know, uh, you know highly processed carbohydrates, like maybe they'll get better results. But maybe the strictness of that is causing them to like miss out on holidays or birthday parties or family events where they can eat food with their family. And then they almost become too strict where they become obsessed. And, um, and, and, and I think that's something to factor in too. And this is why I'm like, Hey, yeah, maybe you could get down to 10% body fat and you will look really good. Cool. But will you be happier? Right? Like, will that bring the happiness that you're thinking that's going to bring into your life? And most people, they like, maybe they have the discipline to do it and they get there and they realize, Oh yeah, this sucks. I'm counting. I'm weighing my, I'm counting my calories, weighing my food all the time. I'm bringing Tupperware containers to, you know, restaurants and I have to eat my chicken and broccoli. And like, you know, there's a certain level of strictness where it's not as fun or it doesn't bring a level of happiness. And so, you know, maybe some people are like, Hey, maybe you're happier at 15% or 16% where maybe you're not like super shredded, but you have that quality of life that you're looking for. And this is why it's important to know yourself and, and know okay, what do I want? Like, like, do I want to go for like the 10% body fat or like the performance that I'm looking for? Okay, well, that's going to require this type of level of strictness and discipline. And do you do you want to live that? Is that sustainable for you? And this is where people need to figure that out and maybe do an experiment to test that.
0: Yeah, I think that message is very important. Because I'm like, I'm the type of person where like the lifestyle change doesn't bother me. Like I'm, I'm out to eat with my family and stuff. Like, I'm going to their house I'll bring my own food and cook it on the stove if we're going yeah. out to eat I have no problem spending 25 extra bucks to get a keto-ish meal <laughs> like,
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> but you know there's people I coach where I'm just like yeah you know once every few weeks like have this kind of meal and you're totally fine if that's going to help you with your lifestyle quality and yeah. not make this like a chore for you yeah So that's a big big um, thing that people should take away from this yeah. Uh, my last question for you, and I'm sure like you've answered this periodically throughout this whole podcast episode, but you know, if you were to take away one message from both things that you, both times that you've done this for people who are struggling with food addiction, like mm-hmm. what would that condensed message be for them?
1: Uh, the first thing, first and foremost, to everyone listening that does struggle is that you are worth it to keep fighting for your physical health. And a lot of times we make it about the results. We think, oh, I'm successful if I lose the weight or if I get the body. But if I could help you shift your perception of what success is, success isn't getting the body or getting the results. I know we think it is, like that like that brings a, a short-term temporary level of happiness, but it's not permanent. It doesn't bring that fulfillment, that long-term fulfillment that we feel. What, what does that is, is learning to fall in love with the process because you realize that you're worth it And uh, if you can learn to fall in love with the process of eating healthy food, meal prepping, exercising, you know, uh, taking care of your physical health, if you can learn to fall in love with that process and just take results out of the equation for a second, just live that lifestyle and let that become part of you, then what tends to happen is the results or the weight loss becomes a byproduct of you living that lifestyle consistently instead of, hey, I'm going to do this process, which sucks that I have to eat healthy and diet and exercise in hopes to get these results. So that once I get these results, then I can love myself, then I'll be happy, then all my problems will go away, which we all know that's a myth that doesn't happen like that. And so what I try and do is teach people to, you know, realize that they're worth it now. And, you know, and they could be learn to be fulfilled now and happy, even though they're not their body's not perfect right now, maybe they're not where they want to be. But learn to love yourself now is the most important thing you can do for yourself. So that if you do get the results, your happiness isn't dependent on those results or not. You're, ha- you're happy now where you're at while you're working on a better version of yourself. But whether those results were, uh, come or not is not your determining factor of if, if you're a success or not, or if you're able to be happy or not. So that's kind of the shift in perception that I would tell those people to, to try and make.
0: So I hope after hearing that, everybody could feel the empathy that you have and <clears throat> really like how much care that you have for people who are trying to get back in shape and take control of their health. Um, I know that you offer personal, or I'm sorry. I, I know that you offer like generic plans that people can buy from your website. Mm-hmm. Do you off, also offer like personalized individual coaching as well?
1: I don't do one-on-one coaching. I have a group coaching membership that people can um, subscribe to, where I have certified coaches uh, that are fit to fit to fit, complete keto certified coaches underneath me that take on one-on-one clients, but it's in a group setting. So. Uh, I have certain coaches assigned to about 10 different clients at a time. And um, and then we meet once a week where we jump on a Zoom call with me and the other coaches and the clients. Uh, but it's not one-on-one coaching, but my coaches, um, you know, we do have that uh, coach, group coaching membership.
0: Cool. And if yeah. I understood you correctly, any coach that comes on with you has to go through this process? <laughs> did I miss that? That would be...
1: No, that's a good question. No, they, I can't make anyone do that, but there is a certification that we've created that takes the things that I've learned from both these experiments. And yeah, I don't think I would be, I, th- I would probably be sued if I had made people, if that was a requirement, but they have to understand, they have to learn uh, about empathy and in the, in the certification course and they have to have a better and they have to have an understanding of the mental and emotional side. And that's kind of tied into my certification that we've created on top of the physical things that, you know, that is required to do keto the right way. So, yeah. Uh, but that's a good question.
0: <laughs> okay. I was like, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you, Drew. Um, so for people that want to learn more about you, you said your website's fit Is that correct?
1: Yep. And that's all my social media channels. It's all the same. So fit number two, fat number two, fit and website, podcast book, social media channels. It's all okay. the same.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, I encourage everybody to go check that out. It's so inspiring. And Drew, thanks again for coming on. I I love talking to you, and it was, yeah. it was good to get some insight into why you do what you do.
1: Yeah, likewise, brother. Thank you for having me on. It's my-
0: Wanted to take one more opportunity to thank Drew Manning for joining me today. <clears throat> I seriously look up to him a lot. He's done some remarkable things. I. Don't know if I could ever purposely gain weight to better understand the people that I'm trying to coach. Um, that's just something that seems very, very difficult to me. And the fact that he's been willing to do that twice now is super, super amazing in my view. And I know a lot of other people look up to him. Again, if you have any questions for him or want to look into some of the programs that he has to offer, just go to fittofattofit.com or look up fittofattofit to to fit on Instagram check out his journey. Look at all the before and after and during pictures. Like it's seriously so amazing. And I'm so um, stoked that he was willing to come on and talk with me. I know he's a busy person and he has a lot of people to help. So thank you again, Drew. I hope all the listeners enjoyed this episode. Thanks again for your support.